Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Dan Loss joined by Mike Lawson and Taryn Sharma, the NIL gang. What's up, team? What's up, Dan? I've missed What's you. What's up, Dan? You've been all over the country. I have been. And it's been back-to-back weeks of going to different places, talking about NIL of all things. And and uh, in my absence, Taryn, Mike, you guys have been like carrying the NIL torch pretty well. Not to mention Holly. We've got a, a good triumvirate going. Not to mention Holly, but for, I guess, this episode, we have the OG conduct crew. So we're going to have a special episode this week. Taryn, Mike, last week, I listened to your episode that you did with Holly. Great episode, kind of previewing what was to come, among other things that was going to come at the congressional hearing. So the congressional hearing kind of comes and goes. We see on the witness list, we have a friend of the show, Jason Stahl, from the College Football Players Association, CFBPA.org. Jason's been on the show with us. He did an episode once upon a time with me and Brendan Bell. After Jason got very close, you can go in the archives and find that episode. But Jason got very close to helping the Penn State football team unionize. So I've been keeping my eye on Jason. I'm like, this is probably going to be the first guy to unionize a team. And what do you know, Jason gets the call from Congress to sit on this panel. So we're going to talk to Jason. We're going to get his highlights, how he ended up getting this progress. You know, obviously with six people on the panel and 100 people asking questions and people kind of reading from statements, you're not going to get kind of someone's full unfettered thoughts, but we figured we'd give Jason the platform. He was really the only one speaking on kind of the player side or fully on the player side. So we're going to give Jason the floor. So before we get to Jason, well, before we do anything, let's do some business here. Podcast sponsored by Themis Bar Review, top bar prep company in the entire galaxy. Someone, uh, I got a, a message from someone in a school in the South and they're like, hey, what's that promo code for conduct? I'm like, to myself, man, you should listen to the podcast. You've taking notes for that promo code. But I'll tell it to you and our listeners, it is good sport, 500. You'll get a lot of money off, maybe uh, $500, maybe a million dollars, or maybe $500. But you got to put that promo code in to check. So for legal you- purposes, it's not a million dollars. Just had to clarify that. It's not a million dollars. I said it might be, but also might not be. In any event, listen, it's Final Four time. We're recording this episode. Uh, UConn, at the time we are recording, this was a big lead. We'll see by the end of this episode, they will have won the men's Final Four or the men's championship on that side. Before we do that, we do have a completion on the women's Final Four side. Caitlin Clark and, I guess, the Bayou Barbie Angel Reese. Those are the two biggest stories in college basketball right now. And they're not the biggest story in women's college basketball. They're the biggest stories in all of college sports. So I wanted to dedicate some time on the podcast to, you know, to talk about what's going on, these different NIL controversies. But, you know, we're going to talk about a little Caitlin Clark, a little Angel Reese, a little artificial intelligence, a little bit of cactus AI. That'll be the little episode. And we'll see what Jason talks about and maybe some um, some federal bill on the back end. So, Taryn, I'm going to let you kind of take take the lead here. You're our Minnesota guy. I have a feeling you... Uh, what is What are Minnesota's thoughts on Iowa? Do you guys hate Iowa or are you like kind of neutral? Yeah, no, there's an entire chant. Who hates Iowa? We hate Iowa. And so regardless of who the Gophers are playing, you can hear that ringing out at the bank, which is something that I honestly didn't know before I moved here and obviously became a student at the U. And so it's kind of a cool thing. I appreciate it because who hates Iowa? Apparently we do. Nebraska hates Iowa too. Yeah, good. Yeah. I like that. Let me ask you this. I'm the, I'm the Nebraska guy. You're the Minnesota guy. I yeah. had one tweet saying that, like, I think Caitlin Clark's a legend. Like, this is unreal what she's doing. And my replies were all Nebraska people. And my DM's like, Dan, you realize that you're not allowed to say anything positive about Iowa. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, Caitlin Clark's kind of awesome. You know who doesn't think Caitlin Clark's awesome? Angel Reese does not yeah. think 
does not think Caitlin Clark is awesome. Let's start this here, and I'll, I'll just set the stage. And, and Mike Taren, I, I have a feeling we're going to have some some disagreement here. So Caitlin Clark, um, there's a lot of narrative on social media right now about hey, if Caitlin Clark does it, it's cool, and if Angel Reese does it, it's it's classless and bad for the sport. You know, WrestleMania was this past weekend. Caitlin Clark somehow has had in her repertoire the John Cena, you can't see me type move when she puts her hand in front of her face. So she did that during the Elite Eight. I think uh, when they played Louisville, she found out the best player on Louisville's team. She does the John Cena, you can't see me move to her. Okay. Caitlin Clark goes on uh, as an 11 and a half point underdog. Iowa dethrones South Carolina. Okay, whatever. Now LSU, Iowa plays in the finals. Angel Reese, those guys, we could talk about some bullshit foul calls and all that other stuff, but LSU reigns supreme. Now, Taryn, I'm going to let you have the floor, okay? Now, it's it's Angel Reese's time to, like, you know, she's they're, they're up by, like, 15 points, and I'm going to let you set the stage here, okay? What, what Angel Reese's actions here set the whole world ablaze. We're, well, I'll let you I'll let you kind of characterize it then. Yeah, I mean, who had the Women's National Championship becoming a, a cult- cultural touch point in 2023 that's pretty exciting and and i guess shows that uh you know the sport is moving forward more people are watching almost 10 million people watched the national championship game it's shattered records all through the tournament and a lot of that is because of caitlin clark caitlin clark has been compared to everybody from steph curry to some of the greatest women's players of all time and it's been awesome uh, despite not rooting for iowa ever in anything i've really enjoyed watching her play and so I was tuned in like so many others. I don't have a problem with taunting generally. I, I think that it's funny. I think that the gifts are really good. And I just thought that, you know, the, and, and I guess it was very clear that this was going to happen, but the conversation about it being a double standard between how Caitlin Clark's trash talk is treated as opposed to uh, Angel Reese's trash talk. And I could see that being the case if it were a one-to-one comparison. I think that what set off a lot of people about Angel Reese's reactions after, you know, in, in the in the waning moments of the Women's National Championship game is not that she did it, uh, the you can't see me, the, the Tony Yayo thing originally, to Caitlin Clark while she was standing next to her in the free throw line because she was right next to her. But then following her around the court as the seconds ticked down and her teammates began to celebrate together. I thought that was more embarrassing for her. I thought it was pretty cringy to watch her follow around Caitlin Clark, who's clearly ignoring her and keep doing the same two motions that you can't see me. And then, you know, give me that ring, the pointing to the finger. Would you define that conduct as classless? That's, you know, that's not the word that I would use. I thought it was pretty lame. I thought that there were better things that she could have been doing at that moment. But if that if she was so motivated during the game, in which they didn't really even stop Caitlin Clark, she still scored 30 points. She still had plenty of highlight reel passes. I thought that, you know, whatever. But I think that it is pretty lame to be doing that, to try to like embarrass your opponent and upstage the moment, as opposed to just celebrating the accomplishment with the team. And I thought it was kind of weird that they just kept talking about her uh, in the aftermath of the of the game. And the other thing is, okay, uh, they said that they felt disrespected. 
I don't think that Caitlin Clark ever said anything about LSU. The extent of what she said was that we're not going to guard LSU the same way that we guard South Carolina. South Carolina has a young woman on their team who shot like 20 something percent from three this year. And so, okay, she does the little move like, go ahead, shoot it. You see that in the NBA all the time. So I didn't think that that was like so disrespectful that it it <laughs> it meant that a fellow SEC team member, an SEC sister in, uh, in Angel Reese needed to uh, stand up for a, a player on South Carolina. I just thought the entire thing was really silly. But all that That's, said, you know, well, Caitlin Clark doesn't seem affected by it. So it's fine. Well, okay. Two, two things really quick. Keith Olbermann, who I think admits to being uninformed. Keith Olbermann, former ESPN, he's now kind of a new circle. But Keith Olbermann just takes the video of Angel Reese. I don't think he knows anything. And he just goes, what a fucking idiot. Keith Olbermann, if you, if, A, just a good rule of thumb. If you're uninformed on something, maybe don't comment on it, right? That's that's probably a good But then he couldn't say anything about anything ever. Right. <laughs> I guess that's that's fair. But I mean, like, it, it makes people look really bad. So I don't, anyway, people might kind of poo-poo this and say, well, it's Keith Olbermann, who cares? Mike, I'll, I'll give this to you. The other one that I, I think is odd, right? This kind of weird, like, double-edged, like, I don't want to put any color on this. Like Jill Biden, right? Uh, and this is not, again, we should preface, this is not a political podcast. The president's wife says we're going to invite LSU and we should also invite Iowa to the White House because they played a good game. I, I'm not aware of any other instance in sports where the loser gets an invite. Like, let LSU have their moment. Caitlin Clark is in the past. Why do we care so much about Caitlin Clark? She had her moment. She did really good against South Carolina. Like, yeah. I don't understand. Like, LSU won. Like, everyone, including, right? I'm not going to, you know, not including Angel Reese, right? Just have your moment. You guys won. Like, why is Jill Biden bringing him up? Like, why is Angel Reese bringing Caitlin Clark back into the showing the ring, like chasing after? Mike, I, I just find the whole thing to be odd. And, and maybe it's not Angel Reese's fault that everyone else is putting Clark on that same pedestal. And maybe I'm guilty of it as well, saying that she broke this performance. But, like, can't LSU just win? Like, why does the narrative have to be this battle between Clark and Reese? Like, can, can't just LSU be, be the champs? And that's it. Well, I think it's also because LSU won, but Kalen Clark with this Iowa team just had a historic run, broke a lot of records, and was just making waves for this trash talk that she was trying to do. I, I, I don't know, or, or embodying Larry Bird. But I don't know why they invited both teams. Like, that's that that doesn't make sense to me. I think that's just silly. But yeah, LSU won. Angel Reese, I mean, going into this, Angel Reese had encountered a lot of different criticism for things that she said on the on the court and she talked about you know the double standard of her being a black athlete versus Kaylin Clark being a white athlete but all in all I think it's just heat of the game I, I really don't think yeah maybe it's in poor taste fine I didn't see it as that bad I mean she was chasing her around Taryn 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 does see it as more of, um, you know it's almost like a, a sore winning type of move which I totally agree with but at the end, like there's the other thing I was talking to, you know, I was talking to some people just, you know, about Kaylin Clark and her performance. And they were saying, well, Kaylin Clark really didn't, you know, do any kind of showing anybody up in this game. I'm like, yeah, because they were down 15 points, like the whole game. So like, you know, of yeah. course she's not going to talk smack when they're losing. Like that's that, that would be really uh, bad of her. So I think maybe that also played a factor too. the fact that, LSU was just so dominant in this that they didn't even need to show them up in that sense that they they had control of the whole game and they didn't need to, you know, really rub it in the face of Kaylin Clark. Kaylin Clark had a, 
unbelievable run. Like she had, she broke records, things that neither men or women's tournaments have seen. So good for her. And she, like Dan said, she had her moment and then LSU won and let's move on. Can I just ask both of you, all right, Angel Reese is a major NIL star, all right? The conversations with Mattel about making the Bayou Barbie, a possible shoe deal. She's got like 2 million followers on social media. She's got this most outstanding player trophy. Wouldn't it have been better today if everyone was talking about like, man, Angel Reese had a double-double in every game in the tournament. LSU won their first title. Like, what a great team. Isn't it impressive that Kim Mulkey, regardless of what you thought of, think of her, like came to LSU and in year two is a national champion for the fourth time? Wouldn't those all be better conversations than what we have right now? But the thing is that when you act like the way that Angel Reese did in the waning moments of that game, you distract from the team as a whole and you make it about yourself and not even the positive things. Okay, well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Slash. I might actually feel this way. The fact that we are having these conversations about personalities in women's sports, like it's not just like women's sports need more attention and they need more coverage. Like they need to, all the tournament also needs to be called March Madness. Like I think we've progressed as a sports culture and I'll, and I'll give us, I'll give ourselves a pat on the back collectively here. Like we're now talking about the women's sports as if they are just like normal men's sports, right? We're just saying like, we don't like this person. We don't like this person. This person played great. This person's bad. Like, I think it might be good for the sport that there are heroes and and good guys. And oh, I shouldn't say good guys, good girls and bad girls and people that people want to root against and want to, you know, uh, root for. I don't, I think that's what the women's game had been missing, save for like Diana Taurasi and like a handful of women's athletes that have kind of, you know, broken through. But to have like Aaliyah Boston, Caitlin Clark, like Bayou Barbie, like the women's tournament actually had more firepower than the men's tournament. And like, obviously there were a lot of upsets on the, on the men's side, but like the women's tournament did better ratings. Their tickets were selling for more. I'm like, have we just reached a point in the college basketball culture where the women's product and, and the athletes on that side are making just as much and drawing as, as much attention, if not more than the men. Like I'm kind of okay with where we're at. I kind of like that we're having these conversations. Maybe it's a good thing. I agree in that sense. And I think that the coverage in the last year or two has been markedly better. I think Holly Rowe deserves a lot of credit for that also. And ESPN does as well. Putting Ryan Rucco on the call, like Ryan Rucco is a great announcer, a great play-by-play person up there with anybody that is on the men's tournament. So I thought those were both good moves and, and the coverage contributed to people talking about the tournament all throughout. And also just like, Good teams, big personalities being there at the end. Let's do this. We have our conversation with Jason Stoll. Jason's going to get into kind of where we are as a current landscape of college sports and where we're going to go from here. It's a very comprehensive conversation that we have with Jason. So, you know, we spent the first part of this podcast kind of talking about where we are as a current sports landscape as fans. Jason's going to really talk about where we're heading on the kind of legislative sense, on the kind of legal and business sense. So it's going to be a great conversation with Jason. So again, Jason is the founder and executive director of the College Football Players Association, the CFBPA.org. So yeah, you can check him out over there. Yeah, without further ado, let us kick it over to our conversation with Jason. Jason, welcome to Conduct Detrimental, uh, or I should say welcome back. It's your second time now, right? Second time. First time by myself. I'll see if I can handle it by myself this time. You know, it's funny. I've, you know, I get the newsletter, Jason. I, I, uh, you, you were on probably this time last year and I thought your whole movement was really cool. And I, I'm, you know, obviously keeping my, my tabs on you. 
And then they came out with the congressional, you know, hearing list. And I see a familiar name. I see Jason Stoll, <laughs> friend of the show. And I'm like, that's awesome. Let's go, Jason. I'm happy to have you back on. And now we can say we've had a uh, someone of your stature. Now that now that you've spoken to Congress, I mean, like that's that's kind of up. <laughs> I appreciate the invitation back. Yeah, it was. You know, I think there's an element of this. Like you get the newsletter. I know a lot of people get the newsletter, and I think, you know, I try to keep people abreast of what we're doing. But there, there is just quite a lot happening behind the scenes that, you know, we can't talk to people about and. You know, I'm not super active on social media in part because, you know, a big part of this job is you got to be quiet until you're ready to be loud. And yeah, so this was one of those things. We'd been working for a good two and a half weeks, but probably about two weeks once I heard the committee was going to get out there. We had created a lot of, you know, got a lot of contacts in Congress now. And I think that, yeah, we just kind of made it happen, just sort of made our position that there's got to be somebody there who advocates for the players. We thought we could do it. Our first inclination was to get a player on there, one of our leadership committee. That almost happened, but then they had a couple players that the Republican majority wanted on. And so I ended up getting the invite. So there you go. I guess I have one question. I'll open it up to Mike and Taryn. I mean, how how does that process start? I mean, you you kind of got us, you jumped us into the deep end where there was a conversation of a of just someone of a player joining and this one, then you end up joining. What happens? Is it someone that did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? How does how does that process start? I think. I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I don't know how that, that process comes to be. So what I can say is we've got some friends on the Senate side, but didn't have anybody really on the House side yet that we were in, in contact with. And so contacted some of our Senate friends, you know, just people just are into what we're doing, organizing athletes. I think, you know, it's pretty, pretty rare in this world where, you know, people are really trying to get members or really trying to get those, you know, that collective voice for the athletes and so in terms of getting a meeting when you're doing something very unique, I think what we're doing is very unique. It's easier to get meetings, right? Because it's not, oh, I'm one of a number of people doing X, Y, and Z, right? And so, yeah. And then just, be, I had to go through interviews though. I'll be honest with you. You know, I went through probably, gosh, I bet you I interviewed for two and a half hours. And then, yeah, with two different committees, Republicans and Democrats. So it, it was no joke. I don't know how the other people got on, but that for me, it was no joke. Hopefully they paid you for your time. No. <laughs> I wish I had gotten some kind of travel stipend or something. I was like, I guys, I was just, I was literally the week before I was in Georgia and South Carolina and then flew back and then literally like had to fly out to DC like two days later. So it's been a wild, I had COVID before that. So it's been a wild few weeks here, just like, you know, getting stuff in order. And so, yeah, it's been fun though. I mean, it was, it was a great experience. No doubt. I definitely appreciate, we, we were talking offline before you appreciate that you were the standout on this panel for, for sure. And I, I definitely have a couple of questions. I know Taryn does too. But just for, for everyone who, who doesn't know or who didn't listen before, Jason is the you know founder and executive director of the College Football Players Association. And the last time you were on, I, I really appreciated your, your open and candidness to the fact that you want to be there for the players, truly a player side here. And I think the biggest message that was coming across from this hearing and from everything leading up to the hearing was that it was more almost NCAA focused and less player focused, that this needed to be, there needed to be guardrails in place 
for the NCAA. It was <laughs> it, it was less player focused and like we need to protect the NCAA as an entity still and not the player. So I definitely thought, you know, you are a, a fresh breath of air here when it comes to still being player focused. I was not surprised when you said that, you know, you, you were sitting at the panel table just kind of being like, I'm the only one that wants to be pushing forward for the players and everyone else seems to kind of be against you. So I, I definitely want to say one thing. I appreciate that. Definitely, you know, listening to this and then seeing everything that happened afterward. All the, You said you had interviews leading up to the congressional hearing, but you had interviews afterwards, too, because you were the standout. Oh, I appreciate that, Mike. Very, very kind of you to say. You know, one thing I did try to stress both in the committee hearing itself and also in the interviews I did afterwards, and I'll stress here again, you know, this really truly is not about me. And I think, you know, what we're trying to do here is create an entity through which the players can speak for themselves. So we have this agreed upon set of principles, our seven point platform. I talked obviously a ton about it at the hearing itself afterwards because I want to put the ideas front and center, right? And because that's how we're organizing players. That's how we're getting guys involved in what we're doing. But yeah, of course, to the extent that I can, you know, step into rooms like that and be a voice when there can only be one voice, or (laughs) at least it appeared that way in that room. Obviously, we could have, you know, had a lot of, you know, I wish we had a power five football player there. I wish we had a power five men's basketball player there. I, I wish... And then fine, have the administrative voices too, but there needed to be some real balance, I think, between current athlete voices, particularly from football and men's basketball, and then also, okay, you have the administrative side of things, but wasn't meant to be, at least not at this one. <clears throat> and, and I think the purpose of that is to give the the up close and personal perspective of how NIL is actually impacting the player as, a, as an individual besides the institution as a, as itself. So I think another piece that was, I, I took, I guess I was a little bit surprised with, and, and your comments and your quotes from afterwards have, have uh, shined pretty bright through is, is you felt that a lot of people needed to do more homework on the NIL space, not even on the congressional side, but even people within, within the NCAA or, or, you know, so can you just yeah. speak to that of, you know, what has happened in the last, you know, we're coming up on two years here yeah. since NIL has officially kind of gone full force. Why do we still have this lack of knowledge going on after 20 months of NIL? I don't know. I mean, I think there's a two sides of things that happen there, the congressional side. So on the one hand, it's like well, they call these hearings. Maybe they should know more, but they, they've got a lot on their plate. This is probably way down the pecking order, right? And so I thought they should have used it more as an educational forum for themselves to learn more. And some of the some of the representatives did do that. I the, the, there was a woman from Arizona who did that. There was a a guy I believe from Michigan. Both of them were on the Republican side. They used their whole time to just ask questions because it was very clear they were like, "Well, I don't really know about this," and so I'm just going to ask you guys a bunch of questions. And they were good questions. So on the panel itself. It just wasn't comprised well, I think. If you if you want to talk about NIL and the realities of NIL, it just needed to be a different makeup because I think even Jennifer Hoppel, who's a Patriot League person, there was Virginia State president, right, who was D2 school. I, I talked with him afterwards. I thought he had a lot of good things to say, but both of them were basically like, yeah, we don't really don't know, right? And like, this is not our world. We don't have a bunch of people who are, you know, engaging in any meaningful NIL deals. And- so it just needed to be a better comprised of people who just had actual experience. So the AD would have fit that. Obviously, I know quite a bit just from keeping 
keeping up on things and being in contact with players. And then after that, we should have had somebody there from a collective. We should have had a men's basketball player who, or, or and or a men's football player who had done, you know, significant NIL deals, maybe even with collectives. There could have been just, I think, a more substantive grounding if it, the panel makeup had been a, a bit different. That panel would have been just fine, just kind of, or, you know, for a different topic almost, you know, just not not for not for that particular hearing. Even though I, you know, I, I got along with all of them quite well. Yeah, I thought that the uh, the Virginia State president, the uh, the Patriot League commissioner, they were kind of the biggest points being made were about what would happen in the event of employment, particularly the Patriot League commissioner, right? Uh, basically saying that their sports might cease to exist if uh, if we reach some sort of employment status. And so that's what I wanted to ask you about. I thought you had a great line. Mike mentioned that you had many notable lines in your testimony, but I thought the best one was, do you want the train to run you over again? Because this is what I think about all the time. You said this in the context of, it almost seems like this is exactly what happened in the lead up to NIL, where they're they're begging for some sort of national policy, the NCAA is. So I I think that that's correct. Do you think that we're going to see the ultimate result kind of be the same, where an employment decision, whether it comes from the NLRB or from a, a state government, deeming student athletes to be employees, whether that be of the school or of the conference or of the NCAA, to kind of wrestle this from the hands of the NCAA because they're they're paralyzed by whatever this moment is? I mean, it is a good question. I it, it you know, I've made this point over and over again. It does seem so similar to the lead up to NIL, right? Where fight and fight and fight, dig your heels in and, oh, we want to go back to the past, even though the writing's on the wall. We're going to – the shocking thing, too, with NIL, we're talking about – I think I saw an estimate in a talk that I just saw that said if you include attorney's fees, public relations work, lobbying, they spent hundreds of millions of dollars fighting NIL. Like, can you imagine? I mean, just what a waste. But Like, what an absolute waste of money. Like, think of all the good things you could use that money for. And, you know, so this, I mean, I'm not necessarily, you know, the employment, we're not involved in any of the sort of employment, you know, filings or anything, right? And we have not, you know, taken a position on this institutionally. But there is, you know, what if this happens, you know, we want to be ready for it. And we think the NCAA and the powers that be in the administrative class in college athletics need to be ready for it because you've got to smooth the way for it. My God, think of what a wrenching change that's going to be, right? I mean, even if you're in favor for it of it, you have to acknowledge it's going to be a wrenching change to college athletic that absolutely needs to be transitioned by industry stakeholders, including the players through players associations. But that work is not happening in any way, shape or form for the administrative class because they're too busy doing this absurd thing, going to Congress and asking for a federal NIL bill. It's so absurd. It's such a waste of time given the train that is moving, whether it heads towards employment classification or not. It's still this still is a waste of time, right? And so, yeah, it's 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 quite shocking to me. And you think about the money they're once again spending on lobbyists. You could tell that their clear supporters, mostly on the Republican side, were reading from scripts, and those scripts came from lobbyists. And 
you know, I think so that we got the same playbook once again, you know. And I think that even some of the interested parties have acknowledged this. There was a uh, a piece that the Notre Dame athletic director Swarbrick wrote last week, and it got panned pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that there were some interesting points in there, and I kind of wanted to get your take on there. But <laughs> but Swarbrick, in that article, he says the NCAA wasted so much energy and money defending amateurism, which is a ridiculous proposition. And then he made this great uh, analogy to no one ever said that the babysitter's experience would be a lot better if we didn't pay him or her, which I I thought was a a glaring amount of Mm self-awareness that probably didn't exist four years ago. Yeah, yeah. Within that article, they said something that they wanted this limited federal legislation. And I I won't go through the entire thing, but three of the points that they made, I, I wonder if they're not aligned with what the platform for the college football players association is. One is establishing a class miss policy to Mm -hmm. limit the team travel schedules. Uh, Another one being to create a national medical trust fund for those who were injured while playing college sports. I know that's number three on your platform, Mm -hmm. uh, post football health protections. And then three, to honor scholarships for athletes who wish to return to complete their degrees. Do you see some sort of alignment there? And and if so, has anyone from that kind of role reached out with interest to, to speak with you on collaborating and building something together so that, you know, the train doesn't run everyone over? Great question. So yeah, I read the op-ed to think about the first point, the whole babysitter point, right? And, you know, oh, defending amateurism and so on. That was a little bit strange to me because then there were other parts of the op-ed that seemed to be saying the exact opposite, right? And so there was a weird disjointedness, but I did like the part where he got to these very clear ideas, okay? So we class miss policy, medical trust fund. Notre Dame does a particularly good job. I think it's 10 years after the fact. Notre Dame pays for playing injuries. That's like at the top end of the industry. Scholarships for returners. I love that idea, even though it's not in our platform. All good ideas. But I think, okay, it's always the question, how? How, how, how is this going to be implemented, right? It's, it's like we can have all the good ideas in the world if you don't have a, a way to create the transition to implement the ideas and then to the extent that they need enforcement to enforce the ideas, it doesn't matter, right? And so you have to be able to, to work with other people and including those like us on the player side of things. So like I said, many times in the hearing, and like I try to stress when we think about our vision, it's it's not this limited vision where, oh, we want um, to unionize the Power 5 football players and then write a CBA. Of course, that could be the future. But we can work with anybody right now who wants to work with us. Jack Swarbuck uh, could call us up and say, hey, we want to work with you guys. And we're like, OK, let us come in and talk with your players. Like That'd be step number one. Right. And then we'll figure out, like, we'll tell them about what we're doing. We'll organize a chapter and we'll start negotiating. Sounds great. That hasn't happened yet. Tom McMillan, lead one there, was there at the hearing. You know, he was a nice guy. He said, oh, I'd love to talk and we'll see kind of where that goes. But in terms of anyone, you know, our door is wide open. Anybody who wants to walk through because somebody should do it. This is the thing. We got a lot of we got a lot of people talk about being leaders, but not a lot of people leading. They love that word leadership. But, you know. Well, I think that also 
if you look at the way that recruiting is going now, this is one of the first things that uncommitted athletes are asking for is, you know, what plans do you have in place to be able to help me take advantage of my name, image, and likeness? And, and I think there's a reason why guys like Coach Larinaga are using their time to advocate for the benefits of name, image, and likeness. I think that there's clearly been a positive reaction from the student athletes that they're going out and, and talking to. So to be on the forefront of this, I think it's a it, it would be an attractive thing in, in terms of being better at their jobs. It's not only that, it, like I completely agree, but it's the institutions have a lot of control. <laughs> if the NCAA would just lift its barrier to the institutions themselves compensating athletes for their name, image, and likeness when it comes to the media rights, which is our one of our platform planks, that is really the game changer right there. Forget employee status. It doesn't, you don't need employee status to do that. And if the NCAA lift, lifted that barrier, the first school to do it, every other school would follow. Of course they would. It, because what are you doing? You're opening up competition. I mean, this is the thing. We get, you know, a couple of Republicans there talking about, you know, oh, you know, they're trying to do some red baiting, the socialists, the unions and whatever. It's like, we're the only people in this room who are in favor of competition. You guys want coming in here, getting the federal government to control your market. Who's the socialist here? Well, I was going to say, you, you, you've fallen into this, this next line that I, I know I, I certainly had a lot of questions on, right? We'll get to the federal bill in a minute, but I, I think at least first where I want to take this in a lot of your comments, and I read the piece that you did with On3, your Q&A with them. So I'm just going to read a quote just so our, our listeners yeah. know. We'll, uh, we'll put the, the link to the interview in our show notes. It's a quote from you. This is about the NCA. Quote, they can't give up their paternalistic mindset toward these athletes. Quite frankly, I think there is just an absolute level of disrespect towards college athletes from the administrative class in higher education. So we take that quote and we compare it to a comment by Charlie Baker from uh, March 1st when he took over uh, the Charlie Baker era. It's not really a quote as much as it is just a concept. This concept of consumer protections around NIL. So you have Charlie Baker, the new head of the NCA. He wants to control NIL to protect the consumers. And we have Jason Stahl, on the other hand, that says that the NCA is being too paternalistic. Now, how does Jason Stahl's mindset, how, how does that compare to what Charlie Baker wants to wants to do? Those two things seem to me to be incongruous with one another. So you have like, uh, you know, the immovable train and the unstoppable object, whatever that stupid metaphor is. But I don't think those two things, you know, sync with one another. Maybe that's good. But what's, what's your take on that, Jason? Okay, so my case is this, and this is what it's hard in that congressional hearing where I had such a limited time, right, in terms of questions being asked, in terms of my statement, I had the written statement, the follow-up interview. So, okay, so now the, the more nuanced answer is, yes, I don't want the federal government to come in and think that they can write a federal NIL bill. It, it's absurd. Like this whole thing he came out with today about, oh, we need to have standardized contracts like mortgages. Like, what does that even mean? I don't <laughs> even know what that means. Like someone explain that to me because every every NIL deal is different. Like, what are we talking about even, right? And so, okay, does that mean I'm not in favor of consumer protections and protecting athletes? Of course not. It, like there, but we, there's other ways to handle it be, besides a ham-handed piece of federal legislation, right? How do you handle it? Well, look at how the NFLPA handles it. They license agents. They make there's caps on fees. There's there's all sorts of things you can do, right? And 
So yes, it's not like, oh, you're either for or against. No, it's like there there's a transition to adulthood happening here, right? And it's not like, oh, daddy's got to come in and like give us this this federal bill. It, it's like, no, you can actually have a compromise position and that takes into account the agency of the athletes themselves that gives them a voice in the process and that, yes, seeks to protect them through a players association, right? And seeks to get more that seeks to get more money in their pockets, right? Not less money like the NCAA wants, and also not skimming absorbent fees. Because I've heard many, many, many stories. All those, not every collective is good. Let me tell you, not every agent is good. Let me tell you, right? There's a lot of middlemen out there skimming, and we want to put a stop to that garbage too. I don't know. Hopefully, I don't get people mad at me with this question, but like I, I was looking at the panelists or the people that were going to speak. And I saw you, which I, I love to see. And not, I mean, I guess we, we kind of talked about this, but not for, for better or for worse. I'm like, probably someone from the collective should be up there. Someone from the agency yeah. side should be there. But then, you know, I, when I read Charlie Baker's comments, again, now that it's about a month ago when he took office on March 1st, I read that as he's going to come in and try to clean up the space of the bad collectives and the, the agents. And I'm like, this was kind of a missed opportunity. Like, Jason, you're you're not like... I don't know. I, 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 you know, we were talking offline. You thought kind of you, you were the only one on your side of the V or as, as we say. Right. But there was certainly somebody that they could have put on the panel that would have been hit with a lot more. I don't know, like, uh, you know, more aggression, like more of the the bad, the, the area of the space that needs the consumer protection side. So I think it was a missed opportunity. Um, I, I don't know yeah. why someone from that that side on. But I don't know. Maybe, you know, the answer. I, I, I think that was a missed really a missed opportunity from the collective side. If you're going to come in and say there are problems, you have to have specific examples of problems. I could have given specific examples of problems. So it was this weird thing where I was like, guys, do you need examples? I've got like five stories I can tell you and they're not good, but it's like, I'm not the one here begging for federal legislation. So it's like you, they should be coming in with the stories of the sky is falling. And then most importantly, What's in the legislation and how is it going to be enforced? You can put all sorts of things in a piece of legislation. If there's no enforcement, it doesn't mean a thing. And so this is the thing. It's like, you know, coming in, I feel like there's just this reliance. I think I think there's it's just the lobbyists behind the scenes who are giving scripts, who are telling people what to say, who will ultimately write the legislation. And that is a larger systemic problem, obviously, the American government of just people, you know, you, you, that's what you have in terms of the legislative input. And it's sad. Yeah, I got this, you know, I think I saw a lot of that up up close and personal, and it was not good. You hit on this point, and then, and then I don't know, I'll, I'll pass it on to, to Mike and Taryn, but like, I, I'm still confused, like in the whole 19 months of this NILR, maybe we're at 20 months now for um, whatever, whatever the number is, about yeah. a year and a half. We've had the one Miami women's basketball, and I'm going to put in quotes just so people know, the NIL punishment, even though it's not really an NIL punishment, it's an impermissible contact punishment. Yeah, right. We've not had a single state attorney general in any of these states want to enforce this. So I, I'm with you. I'm like, so the federal government wants to pass a law and be the bad guy when they go punish all these different schools. I'm like, I just, I don't see it. If they want to create a third party, like this, you know, they create a new entity to be the enforcement mechanism, that's fine. But we need to have that conversation of how it's going to be enforced. Like, we, I think I, I saw some stat, or maybe it was from somebody told me this, but I've heard that like close to 40 hours in, in total time has been committed to these congressional hearings on NIL. I'm like, 
I don't know. It seems like we're just kind of spinning our wheels at a certain point. Like, let me put you, Jason. Let's say you're you're in charge and they ask you this question. Like, what is the ideal enforcement mechanism? I'm having trouble envisioning what it should be, but you're close to it. I mean, what what do you think the ideal path is? I mean, I think it's three things. I think you know, we have to think about enforcement is like a multi-pronged effort here, right? Number one, you would want to have if to the extent that we have attorneys who are operating in an agent like fashion or as actual agents they need to be licensed they need to take tests they need to there needs to be a cap on fees it's agreed to right and and enforced by a combination probably of industry stakeholders in the con- in the conferences in the NCAA but obviously players associations too because that's how it's done in the pro sports world so that's number one. Number two, if you lift the the NCA barrier to athletes monetizing their name, image, and likeness directly from the schools to compensate them for their media, the, the fact that they appear in media, right? Their name and image is used on the television screen and media rights, okay? If you lift that and all of a sudden schools and conferences can compete with one another, you decrease the power of bad actors in the space, because then collectives become less important if the schools can pay directly, right? I'm not saying collectives will go away, but they'll be less important and there will be more transparency, right? Because the schools will be advertising what they're paying, right? And if you want to agree to, there's, a, I don't know, some kind of cap on what you can pay a player or, you know, there's all sorts of ways you can think about this. The idea that that the one way enforcement right like is there going to be a federal nil police is there going to be like what does it look like i don't even know what it would look like if you had a piece of federal legislation maybe they'll hand it all over the ncaa i mean i don't know but i think what's better is to deal with it in the market that includes like nil entities whether it's collectives or firms or whatever right all the agents and the lawyers are operating in the space, right? The athletes through their players associations and the industry stakeholders at the top, but make it possible for those industries. So police it through those entities, not the federal government, and then make it possible for the schools to directly compensate athletes. Again, just call it NIL. It's a different type of NIL. You don't need employee classification. You just need the NCAA to lift the barrier, okay? And then you open up competition, right, with it between schools and between conferences. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we'll see what it looks like. But I, honestly, it's a better solution than proposing nothing. So it's it's a very low bar that's been being set. We talked about the week. So our episode last week was it came out Tuesday, but we recorded on Monday before the hearing. Mm-hmm. And we, we were talking about Charles Barkley's comments, which he sits on your side, I, I guess here, because he, he said that it's an absolute disgrace the way the college sports is going and that he's letting, you know, he had some choice words about what he thinks of politicians and where he thinks that this kind of direction is going. My ultimate issue here is we we talked about NIL. We talked about the employee status. I mean, that's in, that's there's litigation with that too, with the Johnson case. I was looking at a quote that Pat Chun had made to the Washington State Athletic Director. He said that he was talking specifically, I think, about the employee status, saying that it would cause irreparable damage to the student-athlete experience. This is a two-part question. First question is, isn't what's happening right now already causing irreparable damage to student-athlete experience? Because athletes are in such a limbo right now between what they can and can't do with NIL – 
their eligibility because of COVID, the transfer portal being buck wild. So like the actual student athlete experience right now is in such limbo as it is. So, so that's part one. And two is what are these institutions specifically the, the the universities like what are the what are they actually afraid of because you're saying that they could do it on an in, on an individual university level and even come from it could come directly from the you know maybe the conference level right but but what mm-hmm. are the are the universities afraid of getting the hammer from NCAA or, or retroactive punishments because of what they just saw with what happened with the the, the the NIL, you know, and Miami's NIL punishment, I'm putting that in quotes. So what what is actually happening? What what is this damage that's going to cause the student athletes? And what are the universities afraid of by by making that next step? Okay. So I don't I mean I think the big secret is no one likes the world we're in. Like it, I mean the athletes are getting paid and of course I'm sure they like that. I don't I don't want to discount that. That's a significant thing that has happened and is good and positive. But there's really just this middle space that we're in moving from the old to the new. Right. And I think there's a new on the horizon, but you have to create it. It doesn't just happen. You need all the industry stakeholders, including players associations like ours to be involved in creating the new world. I think everybody wants it created. Do you think like a head coach, head football coach has a good job right now? I mean, of course they make a lot of money, Of course, you know, they have power and all this, but like, man, I don't know. It seems like, you know, just roster management alone. But there is a way in which if you had that conversation, he started to create that new world. I do believe everybody's workplace health. I like talking about workplace health would get a lot better. Let's put it that way. And a lot more sane, you know. But then in terms of like, what are they afraid of? I don't think it's actually fear, at least from the administrative class. I think they're fine. They, they got monster salaries. They're fine. They're, and, you know, so I actually think it's more just lack of imagination. It's lack of leadership. They, they've gotten to the top, I think, by like, you know, moving up that ladder, whether it's coaches or administrators. And a lot of that is just kind of like not rocking the boat, you know? And so then, once you get to the top, it's like you're not all of a sudden going to come out, come up with a bunch of new ideas. You know, you've gotten to the top by like kind of toeing the line, really, in many ways. And so, you know, that's kind of institutionally a big problem in American life is all these old institutions of ours, like have people who have risen to the top, not by like carving out new paths, but rather by just going along to get along, you know? Does that I mean, why Charlie Baker being where he is is a bad thing for the NCAA as the former Massachusetts governor? I mean, I don't recall Charlie Baker rocking the boat all that much in any way, shape, or form. I, I think he hasn't shown that much since he come, since he's come in. I think this, I don't know, the idea that a moderate Republican from Massachusetts would come in and have bold new ideas for a vision of the future. I, I'm open to seeing it, but I haven't seen it yet. I've actually just seen a sort of throwback to the past. And yeah, I mean, so he could still show it. I think if you look for leadership, like, hey, man, Jim Harbaugh stepped out about, you know, eight, nine months ago at the end of the summer after the Big Ten media rights deal was announced. And he's like, we need to give players NIL deals directly from the conference. Like, this is too many billions now to say that we can't do this. So there's there's people, you know, small voices, right, here and there, if you pick them out, but not, not at the top. I mean, you know, not, at least I haven't seen it just yet. Um, 
I'm remaining hopeful though that I'll I'll find somebody or somebody will reach out to me, you know. So Jason, we've kept you obviously. We 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 lawyers, we talk. We've kept you a little longer than we thought we I would. could I could go I could go for five hours. It's fine. Yeah. Well, we're gonna let you have the last word here because okay. uh you know, you know, with uh, Congress, there's a lot of mouths to feed, and you were one of six. But listen, we, you give you the the whole floor to yourself. Final words: Where we go from here? The the next thing that people should be be looking ahead. Maybe things or topics that people should be looking into. We didn't get into it. This concept of revenue sharing. If another state's going to propose it, but Jason, you're you're in the weeds. Um, you know, we'll let you take us in whatever direction you want to go for where the next chapter of of this conversation goes. People should stop looking for leadership from the top. They should look at it from the bottom. Leadership is going to come from the players. They have to show it because I truly believe no one else will in terms of what the future of college athletics should look like, an empowered players association or multiple players associations rising up and charting a new path for this industry because they know it better than anybody. And you know, it's not coming from the top down. It's coming from the bottom up. And I truly believe, Lord willing, it will come this year. And it will come from the bottom, not from the top. Well, last time we spoke to Jason, uh, we almost had our first unionized school. Uh, maybe by the next time we speak to you, that that will become a reality, Jason. We will we will see. We will you see. never know. But when you get to the top, don't forget about us guys at the bottom. Speaking of the bottom. Oh, no, no, no. Let me tell you, Dan, and this is no joke. I will never forget anybody. I will never forget anybody over the past three years that gave me a platform like you. Trust me. I, I don't forget. Okay. Well, you're yeah. under oath. So if you I want to, we will see you. That's it. Got my, my Bible's here somewhere. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, Jason. Thank you for, for joining the show. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you have in store next for the college sports community. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. So that was Jason Stahl of the College Football Players Association. Obviously, Jason gave us a lot to unpack. We talked about the federal bill. We talked about really next steps for, for Congress, enforcement. So we'll leave that there. We're going to call upon Jason. Listen, you guys heard it here. If Jason forgets about us, we have a cause of action to sue him. So he said it. He said it. We didn't read him his rights, but like, you know, he, he knows. He's talking to lawyers. He can't lie to us. So He swore on the Bible. He swore. He, he, he swore. Yep. He swore buck down a Bible. Speaking of things to, to cover next in the in the uh, in the space, as we are recording this late on Monday night, as of right now, UConn's got an eleven point lead over San Diego State. So we're not gonna uh, let's. I think we can assume UConn's gonna win this. But if uh, the podcast comes out and we were wrong, so be it. It is what it is. But uh, so let's assume UConn wins this. Um, I, I do want to talk about this kind of where we are at artificial intelligence and the NCA. So. By my count, there have been three artificial intelligence deals in the space. Um, that's with a company called Cactus AI, one with Livy Dunn, that's LSU gymnast, one with the Cavender Twins. Those are the dancing Miami women's basketball players slash they can kind of ball. It's a big shots in, in their tournament run. And the third deal was with San Diego State's Matt Bradley. So I guess let's let's just kind of as a general rule of thumb. Generally, the state legislatures that prevent deals with certain industries, prevent the vice, the vices, deals with alcohol, gambling, and like and drugs. Now, like the states like I'm in in New York, it doesn't really write those vices into the state law, but it lets the schools make those decisions. And the schools that come out with their own NIL policies generally are going to go prohibit that. There are some states and some schools that have actually gone a step further and said, like, we're preventing deals with like gun companies. And so like there's different vices. Now, as of this recording, I am not aware of a single school that prevents deals with artificial intelligence companies designed to help people do schoolwork. 
But I imagine it's coming very soon. If not, it's it, it at least in my opinion, it certainly should. Mike, I'm going to give it to you. What are your thoughts on on college athletes doing deals with like chat GPT-esque companies? It's interesting because it's kind of twofold, right? I think what you're going to see now with these artificial intelligence companies is it's going to be kind of built into the plagiarism policies that most universities probably have. And what's interesting is Matt Bradley, I believe, was the one who gave the shout out when they won going into when they beat FAU, right? And You want the quote? Yeah, give me the quote. Well, it's important because I want you, Mike, I know you've watched the Cavenders video and the Livy Dunn video. I want to put this into context. This is the third one. So I think these athletes are getting smarter about how to do the brand, how to phrase it in such a way where it doesn't seem like it's complete, like plagiarism and, you know, not play, but academic dishonesty. So the question that was asked was like, how do you handle studying during the tournament? Quote, every day I dedicate to be to being better as a player, as a teammate off the court. We definitely have the resources to get us better in the classroom. We have tutors here. We have some free time to do whatever I got to do. Cactus AI comes through clutch when I'm getting organized. It's hard, but it's manageable. So, Mike, that that's how he said it. He goes, it helps him get organized. Right. So he's using it as like a scheduler and, and having, you know, using, I think the way it's, it's, that's what I'm saying. Like it's, it, it's a fine line between having it do work for you uh, and having it as a educational aid, because I think it is beneficial. I think there are ways that this can be used, especially for a student athlete or somebody who might be a, a double major, you know, anybody who's not a student athlete, you know, anybody in the university sphere that this could be beneficial. But again, there's a fine line there of like having it do the work for you. And I think that's where it's going to kind of get built into this kind of plagiarism and and uh, the use perspective of it. But yeah, I think I think it's definitely interesting the way that these are being, you know, promoted. Uh Libby Dunn obviously is one of the largest um she is the largest uh NIL TikTok follower. I think she's got 7.5 million on TikTok. The Cavender twins have I think four and a half million. Cavender twins did a promo video or I don't know a sponsorship video of Cactus AI and they're walking into like a library and they see sitting there is the former Alabama running back, Jameer Gibbs sitting there with his laptop open and cactus AI is there. And it's, it's, it's mainly, I think it's just like the homepage, like the dashboard, but you know, there's a lot of things that the the cactus AI does. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see now that we've got three big names being involved with this artificial intelligence and it it's almost leans to the the question of like are these athletes you know just it's it's the old adage of like athletes like having somebody else do the work for them right like that the unc cheating scandal where the the athlete had the the article about you know rosa parks or he was writing a, a paper about rosa parks and it was like one paragraph and he got an a so like all of these like old scandals that kind of popped up about these athletes cheating and kind of just skating their way through these educational, you know, their classes and their course load and things like that. So this, is this another one of those or, you know, are these athletes, you know, towing that fine line of, of using these artificial intelligence to do their course load for them uh, while also promoting it to essentially everyone else on their university to potentially do the same thing. So it's definitely an, an interesting type of sponsor for NIL, especially catering to college students, college athletes. Yeah, well, I think that it's pretty clear that they picked the right people to uh, endorse it. But the implication to me, in especially in Libby Dunn's video, is pretty clear. You type in a few words and all of a sudden you have mostly a fully formed essay 
that is pretty clearly like against the academic rules. But the bigger issue that I noticed, I don't know if it's a bigger issue, but it is an issue that I noticed is where Matt Bradley chose to do this guerrilla marketing. And you're not supposed to do these NIL things during school sanctioned events. And I think being at the final four is a school sanctioned event. So that to me is probably the bigger issue that San Diego state is going to have with it is that he was doing it in an event that it was school sanctioned. Especially if he got paid for it. I think that they'll have to figure out if he got paid for that. You know, Taryn, Mike, you guys raised the point. Let's see if uh, this was something he was permissibly allowed to say. But I, I do find some intrigue in the wording. If he's using it as a scheduling app or just like a general organization, maybe it's not an issue. But the way that the Cavenders and Levy Dunn promoted it, like it's much closer to academic dishonesty. So is there a lane for promotions to be done about artificial intelligence? Like if you have an app that has an illegal portion to it or almost we'll a violative portion of it, but another side that's fine. Are you allowed to do any deals with them? So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, if, how, if at all, schools kind of adapt to this kind of world of artificial intelligence. As someone that, you know, I'm a professor, like I think that technology is gross. I don't think anybody, any should be, anybody should be using it. Like, you know, God forbid you have to write an essay from scratch. Like, I don't know, that's, that's how you learn to write. That's how you develop your thoughts. You get everything together. Like, I don't know, maybe you won't, maybe you won't get an A plus on it, but you'll get a B plus and you'll learn how to kind of structure your thoughts. So I, I don't approve of these shortcuts. I'll be the first to say it. I'm okay with athletes getting paid. I'm okay with athletes supporting brands if they don't support cheating. But yeah, I think this Cactus AI is getting pretty close to the line. But then again, just like Jason Stahl said, and you know we've talked about here, it's like somebody's got to get in trouble at some point in time. So I mean, it's just a matter of who does it. But like, I don't know. Again, if there's a tree falls in a forest and no one's around to hear it, doesn't make a sound. If no one gets in trouble for anything at any point in time in the NIL era, like, what's the point of having any fucking rules to begin with? Like, come on, like, to be serious. I mean, especially as I don't know how the I don't really know how Cactus AI works or any of these programs work. But say, like, all three of us type in the same exact, like, bullet points to write an essay. Does it write the same exact essay or is it is it, you know, generated to just be randomized? That's a good question. So, That's a so, great- then, so say, like, the three of us are are are, you know student athletes and we're in the same room. We're like, we had the same assignment. Like, let's just throw it into Cactus AI. Cause they don't want to, they don't want to do it together. Right. Like if, if like one copy and paste, but like if we throw it in and it just generates a random essay for all three of us that wouldn't look as if we plagiarized it, you know, then that would even be more on the side of cheating. So before we get out, let's um let's cover TikTok. I know there's been some discussions about TikTok getting banned. Mike, you want to take it from here? Yeah. So so TikTok has also had uh, hearings in front of Congress about um, you know validity, stealing information, China's access to you know sensitive information and, and personal information uh, of Americans and, and things like that. So there's there's this proposal for for TikTok to potentially be banned. And I'm no expert on that side of what, what's going to happen with TikTok. So I can't speak too much on that. But what's happening now is because of what TikTok is being used as a platform for monetization and sponsorship and things like that, it's it's circled the realm of NIL and whether or not that this is going to impact it. And people are saying that it would it, like a ban would be like really harmful to student athletes and their ability to make money on name, image and likeness. And to a certain degree, I think it, that's like a yes, but at the same time, I also would have to disagree. I think there's other ways that these athletes can make money. 
you know, perfect example is YouTube and Instagram. An athlete, you know, could make a successful YouTube, you know, a YouTube channel. Donald De La Haye, you know, he was a UCF hunter uh, who had a very successful YouTube channel and he had a scholarship and they basically put it in front of him saying either you lose your scholarship and you can keep doing the YouTube or stop doing YouTube and, and maintain your scholarship. And he chose to keep doing the YouTube channel and he, he had to give up his scholarship. So there are other successful ways. And, and th this was years ago, right? This was about, I think, six years ago when that all happened. So now he would be able to do that with name and likeness. And Instagram too, you know, we saw the House versus NCAA case where Grant House was the Arizona State swimmer. And also Sedona Prince was, was a plaintiff in this, uh, went back when with the Oregon Ducks. Sedona Prince, I think she's got over 200,000 followers on Instagram. Grant House, I think, has close to 7,000. Uh, uh, so they have big social media followings and they were using their platform to try and make money. So, you know, they were being restricted from that. And now name, image, likeness, it, it, giving those athletes a platform to do that. So there's there's multiple social media platforms. I think TikTok is just widespread because it's one of the most popular apps right now. It, it's just blown up so much. And in the same context that YouTube was probably from like 2010 to like 2018, YouTube was so big on monetization and, and money going directly from the advertisers to the content creators that now we're seeing the same. I think we're seeing the same thing with TikTok where it's it's going to have almost like a de-evolution where it's, it's going to revert backwards to like what YouTube is doing. So there's so much money being thrown into TikTok. These advertisers are throwing money at the creators that it's going to it's going to revert back at like that YouTube did the same thing where they're kind of like reining in the amount of money that's going to these content creators. So. Yes, there's a surge right now for NIL and athletes to make money on TikTok because of the amount of money and the popularity that the app has. But there's other resources for these athletes to to make content in that same level. And and again, that's a that's a partnership between the sponsor and the athlete, right? If they want them to do Instagram posts or YouTube shorts or YouTube videos or something like that, there's ways around it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there are a lot of different venues for it. I think it could be a big, really big boon to Instagram if because they launched Reels. If TikTok goes under, or if you know if they refuse to divest, and the White House is really serious about banning it, but yeah, I, I don't think that that it's going to prevent nil from being a thing, and there will be something similar that pops up. You know, Vine died, and then we got TikTok, and. If TikTok dies, we'll get something else because the idea is there and the idea is fairly good. It'll exist in some form or another. There will always be a venue. Uh, speaking of things potentially dying, listen, I, I'm not a political person again, but uh, people think that Twitter is going to die every single second, that the blue check marks are going away and everyone's going to leave the platform. I feel like Twitter is just kind of like immune at this point. Like uh, maybe something will come and replace Twitter, but it's been like almost... I don't know, almost 20 years, maybe, maybe like 15 years. And Twitter's Twitter seems like it's here. I, I don't there's nothing. I think if something was going to replace Twitter, it would have done at this point. But you know, it's funny. It's Twitter is like like all these athletes that have big followings on, on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, it doesn't always translate to Twitter. I, I don't I don't think like the college kids are are on Twitter, maybe. Certainly don't see it, but uh I don't know. We'll we'll keep an eye. If Twitter ceases to exist, you'll know where to find us on the podcast. And, and the reason I bring that up, my friend, uh, a friend of ours, friend of the show, goes, Dan, what's going on? You guys haven't recorded anything since January. Like, did the podcast just die? And I'm like, oh, you are uh, accessing the wrong kind of detrimental feed. We have switched over feed. So 
Um, listen, you might have you might have to tell one of your friends, one of your lapsed conic detrimental fans that we have existed. Put in an episode every week for the past. I don't know. How many, how many weeks are in 2023? So um, most of the time, multiple episodes a week. Most of the time, multiple episodes. Most of the time, multiple episodes. Okay. I think we can end here. So yeah, obviously we're going to keep eyes on the space. This is kind of our, our NIL episode. I think Dan Wallach and I are going to get together later this week to talk a little bit about uh, Pat McAfee. Uh, that case was removed to federal court. McAfee followed up with the motion to dismiss. We're going to cover that. Fun times, boys. I think we can end it here. Always a pleasure recording with you both. Taryn, Mike, you guys keep pumping out the NIL content. Listen, free reign. Whenever you guys want to come back on, I trust you. You have the keys to the mothership now. Okay, you want to record? You're good. You too, Holly. This is a happy, happy thing going on. Okay, let's end it here. For myself, Dan Wallach, all of us here, we wish you a very happy holidays. If you're celebrating a happy WrestleMania season, happy opening day, all the fun stuff that we missed. And we will see you next time on another episode of Connect Detrimental.